Yo, 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 yo. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast, IKP. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is a Wednesday's episode, Wednesday episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the last episode, but I'm here to give you guys another one. I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kid of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. So, uh, NBA playoffs. I've been, you know, these last couple episodes have been geared and focused on the NBA playoffs. I have brung um, some guests on throughout I'm gonna bring I'm gonna continue to bring guests on throughout this playoff run um and you know we're gonna just continue to dive deep into the playoffs because I know a lot of you guys want to hear NBA playoff content so I'm here to bring it to you and a new guest that I have a special guest coming on today first time guest I'm gonna allow him to introduce himself what's up man it's uh Jordan foot I cover the the Chiefs for Sports Illustrated um, the jazz for 48 minutes. And then I, I do some column work with um, Rashad Phillips. So Isaiah, thanks a lot for having me on, man. No problem. Um, uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, <laughs> you know, we can get some of your knowledge and some of your takes on how you feel about the NBA playoffs so far. Um, and, I, I, you know, so let's just start with this. Let's just start with this. Let's not waste any time. Let's just start. Can I, so like I said, I couldn't get you on prior to the playoffs. Just run down and give me like your predictions for the postseason, so people can just know where you're coming from. But just just give me a little bit of your predictions from uh, this postseason uh, and who you had winning it all. Sure. Um, well, to start off, I had the Nets get into the finals in the East, um, and then the Lakers coming out of the West. Now that one is iffy. Um, especially after game one, and we'll talk about that with with Phoenix and L.A. So I think that, man, the Brooklyn pick, really, it's just a matter of if you can get um, Kyrie, KD, and Harden on the court at the same time, regardless of how much they've gelled together, it's going to happen. Like, they're just so talented, and Milwaukee looks good, so there's a chance that Giannis can do some things inside to make it difficult for them. Um, But that's why I picked Brooklyn. And then coming out of the West, it's it's really anybody's race, I think. Um, it, it's pretty wide open compared to how it has been in the past. But the Lakers just um, banking on them getting better with time. And if they can get past the Suns, I think they're going to be fine. And I think they will get past them. Um, the, the Clippers and Dallas series, I picked Dallas in seven, man. And a lot of people were like, dang, you're crazy. I think the Clippers could get to the finals. And I do think the Clippers could get to the finals. But... Dallas is a bad matchup for them. They can't guard Luka, which is weird because, like, you have two of the best perimeter defenders, regular defenders in the NBA, really, and Paul George and Kawhi. Um, So I picked Dallas in that one. I had Portland in six against Denver. I just think that I like Jokic. Um, He looked a lot better in last night's game, Monday night's game. The team looked better, but I think Portland's going to end up overcoming that and beating them. Um, there's one more in the West that I'm missing. Oh, Utah and, and Memphis. Mm-hmm. I had Utah in, um, I think it was five, and that's without knowing what Mitchell was going to do. So it might go to six, but I think Utah is going to handle that. And then out East quickly, just Philly and four. I don't think Washington's going to be able to keep up with them. Um, I had the Knicks upsetting the Hawks in seven, and that one can really go either way. I'm excited to chat about that series Milwaukee, I originally had Miami in six, and then I got closer to the playoffs, and then I switched to Milwaukee in six, and I'm glad I did because I don't think Miami's going to get more than maybe one game in this series. And then um, I had Brooklyn beating Boston in five. 
Okay, so you had some interesting picks. Um, I agree. I agree with most of like most of your t- most of your picks. I agree with. Um, I'm a big Luca guy. People know I'm a big Luca guy. So I'm very excited and curious to see what you think about uh, that series and what made you go Mavericks in seven. But um, let me start with the Lakers. You mentioned you you mentioned your finals picks, and those are my finals picks as well. The Lakers and Nets. Um, you mentioned it. Brooklyn, like when you have Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant playing on the same team together, and I know they have their defensive lapses at times. I know they're not the biggest team. I know, I know they got weaknesses, but I just feel like that's just so much firepower to overcome, um, for any team to overcome, especially out east. Um, and I had a, I had somebody that that covers the you know the Nets and you know the Nets. Um, on this pod before, and they told me the Bucks were the most that, that like that was the team that would give the Nets the most problems, um, and, and you know just out west the Lakers when healthy we can assume that they're the best team, but they haven't looked like themselves, and we can start right there in that Phoenix and Lakers series right there, game one, um, Devin Booker had a tremendous playoff debut. Uh, as long as well as DeAndre Aiden, and once again LeBron James and Anthony Davis, they were they were thoroughly outplayed by the imposing stars on the respective teams. So, like, would like I and with LeBron, I'm not too much worried about LeBron, even though he is coming off the ankle injury. But LeBron does have a trend of game ones where he uses that as a fill out game. Um, just as like last year, he lost a couple game ones, uh, I, years, just years back, you, dating back, like just throughout LeBron's career, he's lost game one and he has in, in the first round, um, or any series, but he has used game one as a fill out kind of game and it's worked in his favor most times. So is this so? Are we should we so our, should our concerns be more on LeBron or Anthony Davis? And what do the Lakers like? What what were the problems that the Lakers face in Game One? Yeah, man, I'm completely 100 percent with you about LeBron. I think they're going to be fine. I think he's going to be fine. It is a feel out game, and I didn't really buy into that until last year. He literally like went out and said it, and then literally they had them. Like you could tell they were just kind of feeling out the series. So. Um, he looks pretty explosive and pretty athletic. Like, I don't think he's at 100%. I don't think AD's at 100%, which is worrisome. But, man, a lot of that goes on AD for game one. He just – they got destroyed when his minutes were at the five, which is something that usually it's the reverse. They do a lot better when he's at the five. They space the floor better. Um, he still plays good defense. But, man, Aiden just abused him. Aiden was physical. Mm-hmm. Um, he crashed the boards quite a bit. They weren't expecting that. Phoenix got a lot of offensive rebounds. Aiton was just, I think he had like 26 and, and 12 or whatever it was. So yeah. he had a good game. Booker was doing Booker things. You just need more from LeBron. And they're going to get more from LeBron, I think, in terms of scoring. The rest of the team will shoot better. But AD's got to be better. And he knows it. He said he has to be better. They're not going to win many games with him doing that. Um, he just looked out of it like he he didn't look prepared he didn't look enthused like he wanted to be there 
Um, he wasn't ready for Aiden's physicality, which is something that he should have been ready for. Aiden's not a face-up center that's going to step out and shoot threes or power forward, whatever people want to call him. Um, AD wasn't ready for it. And I think that heading into game two, we're going to see a different Lakers team. Yeah, I agree. Um, I do think so. And it's so funny because I, I think Anthony Davis is superbly talented. And like, he's probably like, he's probably one of the most five, like he's probably the, as far as talent, just pure talent, he's probably like top five, top 10 in, mo in most people's eyes. And for this coming into this year, after the bubble performances and the playoff performances and the championship run, many thought, as as I did, I thought Anthony Davis was going to take that next step where he became the Lakers' best player. Like, I, I really thought that. And I know the condensed season, the, the condensed schedule, um, the short layoff. Uh, Anthony Davis has dealt with some injuries throughout the regular season. So his rhythm just all throughout the year has been off. It just has been off. Like, is Anthony Davis ever going to be able to, because we know he's great, but is he ever, is he ever going to be able to be this guy that he's the best player on a championship team? Not just being the best player on a mediocre team like he was in New Orleans, but can he be the best player on a championship caliber team? Um, because I thought he's going to take that step, but he hasn't quite taken that next step yet. Can he do that? I I think he can, but mostly it's going to be about LeBron falling off more than AD stepping up. I think yeah. that AD is, he's what, 27 or 28, maybe 26. Like he's still relatively young. So mm -hmm. he should be entering the prime of his career. Um, last year in the bubble, he was pretty close to being the best player on that team. I mean, I think it was him and LeBron neck and neck where AD was shooting the lights out. That version of AD right now would probably be the best player on that team next year, maybe the best player on that team, but healthy LeBron still looks really good. He had one of his best seasons this year. So um, I think if LeBron's around for like three more years, which I mean, AD could surpass him then, but I think right now, um, by the time he becomes that best player and LeBron falls off, AD's hopefully going to have another star there. And I think AD will take over that role, but he's still a few years out from being that best player, I think. Yeah. Um, and we mentioned, and so Phoenix, we mentioned Booker and DeAndre Aiden. I thought that Booker, like the way how, like his, the way how his off, like the way how he plays offense and his shot making ability, I thought that would translate to the postseason because he takes a lot of tough shots. Um, he's a great mid-range scorer. And it's so weird because when you think of today's NBA, you think of layups and three-pointers and fast-break buckets and, and the open floor. And the post-up game and the mid-range game is kind of outdated. But when you get into the playoffs, obviously the, games, the game slows down. And I think having a, a lethal mid-range game, it, 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 it's, to, it's to its benefit – and I think it showed a little bit of that. Can, like, what's the probability of Phoenix actually having a chance to win this series? Because I think a lot of people may share the same sentiments that we share as, as, as you know, the Lakers or LeBron more so. Use that as a fill-out game, a game one fill-out game. But what's the probability of Phoenix actually having a chance in beating the Lakers in this series? I think it's possible. Um, but 
they're going to need Booker to do what he did in game one every game. They're going to need Aiden to do what he did in game one every game. They're going to need somebody on the Lakers to not play so well every game. <laughs> they're going to need Chris Paul to be healthy and do CP3 things. Like, it, there's a lot of what-ifs that need to take place in order for them to win. For the Lakers, it's just a matter of getting healthy and playing like they should play. That's going to be the case throughout the rest of the playoffs. Just get healthy, um, have your role players chip in, have LeBron play LeBron level, have AD play AD level. That's a lot more in terms of what they should do. Um, Phoenix needs to be almost perfect, I think, in order to win that series. And that doesn't mean that Phoenix isn't a great team, because I think they are, and they have the potential to get to the Western Conference Finals or maybe even the NBA Finals, depending on how the, the bracket shapes out. But you got to get past the reigning champs first. And there's a reason they're the reigning champs. Um, there's a reason they were favored in that series with LeBron Hurt, with AD Hurt. It's, it's just going to take a lot. Right. And you mentioned Anthony Davis – and his play, do you think he should play more at, at the five? Because I I do. Um, I, I think Anthony Davis' jumper, I don't know if it's as good as we th may think it is. And obviously when you have guys like Andre Drummond on the floor, uh, Montrez Hurled on the floor, that takes away spacing because neither guy can really shoot. That takes away spacing. And as you mentioned, even though – Game one, Anthony Davis at the five, the Lakers' offense was not effective. But most times when he's playing the five, the offense of the Lakers is is it's it's more effective, and he's effective because he has more space to operate down low. As we, you know, you know, when the Lakers, as this series progress, and as you know, if they win this series, as their playoff run progress. Should the Lakers try to play more, more small ball or more small ball with Anthony Davis at the five and try to eliminate guys like Andre Drummond and Montezaro? Because to be I mean, I'm gonna make it perfectly clear. I'm not a big fan of Andre Drummond. People know I'm not a huge fan of Andre Drummond at all. I think he's a below average finisher for his size. Montrez Hurl, a defensive liability. So what should should the Lakers do more small ball five with Anthony Davis? And I know he doesn't want to play the five, but it 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 just benefits him, his game, and the Lakers. Yeah, they should for sure. And you're drawing opposing centers out of the paint. I mean, you're opening up space for the rest of your teammates, driving lanes for LeBron, um, AD. He's a mismatch at the five because he's still physical enough to get down low if he needs to. And then he has a quick post game where you can have jump hooks and fadeaways and stuff like that. He can face up and shoot. Um, he can pull up from three. He can catch and shoot from three. He has handles like a guard. I mean, AD is literally a walking mismatch. And that's the case at the five just as much as it is at the four. And I think it's more so at the five where in game one, they got wrecked while he was at the five. I don't think that's going to be the case moving forward. Um, he just needs to bring the physicality, and it's going to help the rest of the team. Drummond, man, he he's a good rebounder. He crashes the boards offensively and defensively, but he like does. he can't shoot. He's not a great finisher. Um, his defense is overrated, I think, just because people think blocks equals defense. That's not always the case. Um, Trez, man, he's not nearly as bad as he was in the bubble last year because he had a bunch of stuff going on, but still – He's undersized. He is a defensive liability, especially in the playoffs. Um, he just, there was a rep when they were running the pick and roll, and he was like probably seven or eight feet off of where he was supposed to be. Like, he's not even processing great at this point. So, Trez, he brings value offensively, but like, if you bring that starting lineup, 
maybe have Kuzma power forward or something like that. They have some options where offensively they could be mismatches across the board. And then defensively, um, you're still hopefully funneling people inside to AD. Or if you have a big that can switch out, um, like a Jokic who has that face-up game kind of, I think they'll be okay. Okay. And let's 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 shift gears to the other LA team, the Los Angeles Clippers. And they play they play tonight. Um, by the time you guys hear this, it'll be Wednesday, so you guys would know the result of the Mavericks and Clippers game of Game Two. Um, the Clippers lost Game One, and they've that's now four straight playoff losses dating back to last year. You know, obviously their three one collapse in the semifinals versus the Nuggets. And they playing the Mavericks, a tough opponent, uh, opponent where a lot of people thought the Mavericks had a legitimate shot at beating the Clippers last year. Um, the Clippers, I see some of the same issues that I've been seeing over the, you know, that I've been seeing over the regular season, where they've had a hard time finishing out late games, late like late game situations, either offensively or defensively. It's been difficult for them, um, and it's so surprising because Kawhi, he has this reputation of being, like, somewhat of a clutch player. I mean, like, before last year happened, before that debacle happened, Kawhi had the – a lot of people would say Kawhi's pretty clutch. So that's 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 pretty that's pretty disturbing. But um, you, you picked the Mavericks in seven. Why did you go with the Mavericks in seven? Because I had the Clippers in six. I thought Luka would be good enough to win them two games because he's that good. But why the Mavericks in seven? I think just watching last year. And if they would have got a healthy Porzingis, if they would have got any contribution from anybody else, Dallas would have won that series. And in game one, Porzingis was really bad. And I don't think he'll be that bad for the whole series. They still won. I mean – there is no answer for Luca for them. And it's, he's too big to where they switched Ibaka out on him plenty of times. And Luca, it's either a step back or he's going to take him to the rim and finish at the 10. It's, you can't switch Pat Bev on him because he's too blank, blank, blank small, um, as <laughs> Luca said. So it, it, PG had a couple good defensive possessions on him. Batum had some good ball denial off the ball. But like, you can't deny him the ball completely because eventually he's going to get it. Um, switching just isn't working. They tried to switch into blitzing, and Kawhi wasn't even aware of when they were supposed to trap. You can't trap him because he's six seven, six eight. He can pass over you. Um, I mentioned this on Twitter. There was a possession like with three minutes left, where they ran their Spain pick and roll with the the back screen off the other screener, and Batum like Rondo was telling Batum to drop and take. Uh, I think it was Kleba who was down in the paint. They, they just weren't communicating. And, like, PG had to rotate over and tag him in the paint. Luca easy skip pass, jumped right over Batum, threw it across the court. Like, Luca can do everything offensively now, and he's a much better shooter um, statistically than he has been in the past. He's getting some catch-and-shoot opportunities, hopefully. Um, that That's kind of what they're lacking, I think, is a second perimeter star who can give Luca more of those catch and shoot like a, a CJ McCollum or an Ola Depot pre-injury, something like that. A guy that can run the pick and roll, um, take some pressure off Luca. But man, Luca's young. He can handle it right now. He's he's doing everything for them. Um he's improved defensively. I think he's not a bad defender anymore. He's kind of a neutral. So it's more about Luca and they just don't have an answer for him, which is weird because we talked about 
you have Kawhi and Paul George. Like there, there should be an answer for him, mm-hmm. and I, I just don't think they have one. So I think that Luca's going to have a big time series, and if he does, they have a good shot of pulling it off. No, you're correct, uh, Luca. <laughs> and this is why I really like. Like I question, I, I asked a question to myself last year, um, prior to the playoffs about Luca, and I was like, for him to be 21 years of age. And he averages, I think last year he averaged like 28, 9, and 9. And something. It was something crazy like that. And I'm like, how much better can this guy get? And he's only 21. Um, and I don't want to use that like he's only 21 with the Jason Tatum stuff. But he's he was only 21. And I'm looking at a guy now at, at 22 where similar numbers last year, I mean from last year to this year. And the Mavericks – they're 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 a joy to watch, but Luca he has gotten better. He, you know the three point like as you mentioned his three point shooting has gotten better. Uh, defensively he still leaves a lot to be desired, but he's not like an awful de- defender where like he tries he tries to give some effort, and that's that's what you want out of your twenty two year old superstar <laughs> on defense. But um, so you mentioned the 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 Clippers don't have any answers they just don't and it, it's the, it goes back to my point I think I, like Greg Popovich used to do it a lot with LeBron where he had let LeBron get his 40 but don't let it don't but he wouldn't let LeBron get his 30 to 40 and get everybody else involved and I think with the Clippers okay I, I kind of find it unacceptable that you don't have an answer for Luca when you have Kawhi and Paul George Okay, but I think the problem that I saw from the Clippers, they let everybody else get going. Like, even you mentioned Porzingis didn't have a great game, but Tim Hardaway Jr. had an excellent game. Um, uh, I think Vinny Smith, he had, he had like four or five threes. So it's not only Luka getting his buckets and, you know, he's creating and getting everybody else involved. And I think that's where the Clippers, they got to find a way. Okay, we can't stop Luka. We're going to let Luka get his 35 to 40, but we can't let all these other guys get 15 and 10 and Tim Hardaway Jr., you get 20. And I think with the Clippers, what, what is that? Is that a possible answer? Um, and these defenders that we keep mentioning, is it is it a bit overstated at this point? Yeah, I think so. Like, I think Kawhi, he still has his moments, but he's not quite as good of a defender as he used to be. And Kevin Durant in Brooklyn, too. Like, we, we can't keep carrying these reputations of guys who were great defenders in their primes. Kawhi's still a great defender when he wants to be, but he doesn't always want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, KD, KD hasn't been a great defender in a few years. Like, I just, he just isn't that guy. Granted, he's so freaking good offensively that it doesn't really matter. Um, but PG, like, he's still great on defense. I mean, he's still in his athletic prime. He doesn't have the nagging injuries sometimes that Kawhi has, but the quad, um, that thing's always going to bother him at least a little bit, I think, where they have to manage that and get him ready for the playoffs. But, man, they started picking Luka up at, like, half court in the fourth quarter, like giving him that that Steph Curry-type um, defensive treatment. So I don't – if you get the ball out of Luka's hands, that means you have to stop whoever does have the ball. And the, and like you said, it's not just one thing where, oh, cool, we, we let Luka score. Oh, we got the ball out of Luka's hands then you have to stop these NBA players. Like, those guys can still play, too. 
um, Finney Smith was hitting threes. That was the one I mentioned in the third quarter, the fourth with like three minutes left wide open Finney Smith, um, wide open Tim Hardaway. Porzingis is not going to be that bad all series. I hate to break it to Clippers fans, but I think he's going to get better because he's yeah. a good player. So it's, it's tough. And I don't think that the Clippers like have their backs up against the wall or anything, but if they don't win game two, which people will know by the time they listen to this, what happened, then it's going to get scary because Dallas with a full crowd or close to it, playoff environment up to, Oh, that's going to be tough. Very tough. Very, very tough. And uh, last thing on the Clippers, how can they fix their late game struggles? Uh, man, I, I wish I had the answer to that one. Cause then I, I'd be working for them hopefully. But, um, I, I guess just communicate. And that was something I noticed when I was, cause I rewatched it. Um, just communicate better. Rondo, it, it kind of comes down to experience and not that Nicholas Batum is an experience cause he's a smart player. He's a veteran, but that high IQ, you need Rondo on the court in those minutes, I think. And Rondo was literally directing traffic, telling people where to go. Playoff Rondo's legit. So I just – people compare LeBron and Kawhi um, and have throughout the years. Kawhi just doesn't have that high-level processing on offense where he can be that elite facilitator and put people in the right spots. And on defense, he seemed a little bit out of place, which is weird because he's almost always in the right assignment. So just communicate. And that falls on uh, Ty Lue to – it's it, they just need to communicate better and more thoroughly, quickly, um, kind of have a sense of urgency, not be relaxed, kind of make those adjustments earlier, I think, because Luca cooked them for three and a half quarters and then they're like, oh, OK, let's try something new. Right. Like you have to do that earlier. <laughs> right. OK, so we um, you had Blazers in six uh, versus Denver. I had the Blazers in seven and I was not very comfortable with that. Um. I think the Blazers have a talented squad. I think we can all acknowledge that. Like, offensively, they have a lot of weapons. Um, defensively, they leave a lot to be desired. <laughs> and it showed a little bit last night where uh, they went <laughs> – the, the Nuggets went crazy, and, and more so Nikola Jokic. And Nikola Jokic just is showing me how great offensively he really is. Like, he's an – like, in my opinion, he feels like an all-time offensive big offensive threat and the Blazers. So why did you have the Blazers in six games? Yeah, man, it, it was just a gut feeling I had heading into the series and I could see the Nuggets winning in six like this one. And then I think Hawks and Knicks out East are the two where I'm like, man, I really don't feel confident in my pick at all. Um, it's, it's just one of those things where I think I put a lot of stock in Dame and we saw last night on Monday night, Dame had a big game. Mm -hmm. They still didn't win. Like he was pretty much the only one who was cooking. Um, so if Jokic is doing that and Michael Porter Jr. can pour in some points, it's not like Denver has a horrible roster without Jamal Murray there, but they do miss him. So it's going to come down to matchups and which position group, the guards for Portland or the wings slash big for Denver is going to get theirs. I mean, if Jokic is getting his, um, Aaron Gordon gets cooking, um, Porter Jr. gets cooking, because Porter Jr., he's one of the most efficient scorers in the league right now. Mm. I mean, he might have been the most efficient this year in terms of volume and efficiency. So that series is going to be fun, <laughs> and I think that I still trust Dame in those clutch minutes to where it's going to be a close series. 
Um, if it ends in six, I think it's going to be close. And if it ends in seven, obviously <clears throat> the same thing's going to happen. So this one's probably going to be the most fun first round series. And then Hawks next out East. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, I trust Dame in those big time moments. And that was a little bit because I'm like game seven. If like if a series goes to seven, usually it's two teams that's evenly matched. And at that point, it's like, who do you trust more down the stretch of games? And I, I think Yoke is probably going to be the MVP this year um, and well-deserved. But um, Dame, I trust Dame in those big big time situations, and that's that that's that was my reason, you know, with me leaning Portland in seven. But I must admit, I thought Denver with a healthy Jamal Murray had a chance to get out the Western Conference. Um, yeah. with the with the acquisition of Aaron Gordon, who I thought was well needed because they lost a guy in Jerry and Grant who provided that three and D kind of role for them. Um, and they were missing that early on in the first half of the season. And I think, I think Aaron Gordon was just as comparable or if not better than Grant. And I, so I love what the Nuggets did. And I think they have a high ceiling next year, um, you know, depending on what Jamal Murray looks like, but these torn ACL injuries with advancement of, of, of medicine, it's like a torn ACL used to be like a deal breaker. Now it's like you guys come back really strong. Give me your take on, and you mentioned Michael Porter Jr. and his uh, evolution. Give me your give me your take on the Nuggets and how do you like before the injury? How did you feel about them, um, Jamal Murray? Uh, like before the Jamal Murray injury, how did you feel about them and the Nuggets? As far as what are their chances going going to be down the future, down the, down the future, down the line? I'm with you 100%. I think that this year they could have got out of the West. They just had that much talent. And the thing is that um, Gordon hadn't been there for very long. They were still gelling together. And he's a guy that can switch on to bigs or wings um, defensively. Porter Jr., like, they just had a stacked lineup. And they all brought different things to the table. Shot creation, um, post-game passing, stuff like that. Murray doesn't even need to be the point guard necessarily. He can just kind of run off ball or cook on ball. Um, they have ISO guys that can create for themselves. So this year, man, before the injury, I had them getting to the Western Conference Finals. Um, if not the NBA Finals then next year, I think it's going to be the same thing. If Murray comes back on time, gets going um, with those ACLs, like you said, before it was like, man, this could be like a not a career-ending injury, but are you ever going to be the same, right. blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of where we're at with Achilles injuries still. But with ACL, you just expect these players to come back and be fine. Like even, I guess, Derrick Rose would be one of the lone exceptions where it literally sapped him of so much athleticism. But I think Murray, he doesn't necessarily need all of that. And I think he's still going to come back and be just as good um, post-injury. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, so the last, this is the last Western conference series, uh, the Utah jazz and the Memphis Grizzlies. And I know a lot of people like Memphis and Utah, uh, kind of a snoring fest, but I, I enjoyed game one and I'm, I think you wrote a column on game one. I think it was concerning Donovan Mitchell's injury. So could you talk a little bit about that? And also, uh, what did you take away from game one? Yeah, man. Um, first and foremost, shout out to the Grizzlies. Like Dylan Brooks was fantastic. 
Um, John Morant has really broken out these past few games, which I love because he gets too much hate for not being a reliable shooter, and he's already this good. Like, once he figures that out, it's over for the NBA, I think. He's a really, really, really good player. Um, Really smart, athletic, fun to watch. And for Utah, man, they just missed a dynamic threat. Like, they had Clarkson, who he's their most dynamic non-Mitchell, like isolation, create your own shot, get your own bucket. He wasn't doing any of that. He was over eight from deep. He shot six of 18. Like he just wasn't playing well. Um, or no, he was five of 16. Conley was six of 18. Conley was, he had like 11 assists. I mean, him and Gobert are good in the pick and roll, but he just wasn't efficient. Gobert is limited offensively. Mm-hmm. It just, he couldn't stop Morant defensively sometimes where they were setting screens off the ball on Gobert where Morant could kind of work around him. So Memphis brought a really good game plan into the game. And with Mitchell's injury, man, it's – I guess it's kind of a reverse Kawhi type thing where Kawhi was working out with his own camp and then the team didn't like it. Everything fell apart, blah, blah, blah. Mitchell was working with his own camp, like working double time. Not that he didn't trust Utah, right. but that he wanted to get back on time. Like he was working around the clock to get back. Then he came up and basically was like, hey, I'm ready to go. And then they said no um, because he didn't – followed their timeline or whatever. So that that whole situation was weird, but he's expected to be a good go for game two on Wednesday night. So with him back, they have a guy who is athletic, who can play make off the ball from Conley, great catch and shoot guy, great on ball creator. They're going to win this series. I think like it's, it's not in jeopardy for them. Even if they went down 2-0, I wouldn't be too worried about it, but um, Memphis does deserve some credit, but I think with Mitchell back, Utah's just too good and too deep to not win. Okay. Um, I want to make a point about Memphis because, you know, you mentioned Dylan Brooks. He's, you know, I think guys like him, they they tend to play well with, like, the atmosphere and the playoffs and setting. Um, I like Dylan Brooks a lot. I, I like this game back in Oregon um, where he had the big-time March Madness game versus Duke, and he was he was just lighting it up. And he's, he's just, a, like, a fiery competitor. Um, I think so with Memphis, we mentioned, so a lot of people with young cores and young teams and young players, a lot of people tend to mention the Pelicans because the Pelicans, you know, Zion and Brandon Ingram. And, you know, we focus more on the Pelicans, but I look, I'm the more and more I look at the Memphis Grizzlies, they have a young core. That's probably just as good. Um, they've gotten to the playoffs. The Pelicans haven't John Morant. He's He's good, really good. Why don't we why don't people talk more about the Memphis Grizzlies like the the way they talk about the New Orleans Pelicans? And I know it's the Zion thing. I like Zion too, but the Grizzlies have a really good young core too. Yeah, I think part of it's because Ingram and uh Lonzo came from the Lakers, so like there were already a lot of eyes on them. Mm-hmm. And Memphis is Memphis. Like <laughs> even when they had Conley and Zebo people still didn't watch them really like they're just an under the radar gritty team and now with Morant he's the high flying like draw that gets people to watch they drafted Desmond Bain who was a steel great shooter great guy that I think will be good for them Dylan Brooks is good um Jaron Jackson Jr. like dude that guy is like a mix of like Cat Porzingis like he's not going to turn out to be better than those guys necessarily but Mm -hmm. he has a great handle he can switch on to bigs or wings. Um, he's super athletic. He makes good reads offensively. He can shoot the lights out from deep. 
he the only thing he doesn't really do is rebound and that's because he doesn't spend a lot of time near the rim (laughs) um he's usually out on the perimeter he's not really a center he's more of that power forward so memphis has a great young core and they have a great leader in john morant i think they're well coached they're a team that you give them a couple years like they're going to be in the playoffs every season i think or at least close to it they're going to keep getting better and better and better you bring up the pelicans man i get the zion thing i was a john morant guy over zion and um i, I hate comparing them now because they're both fantastic zion is otherworldly he was great this season yes but Memphis has a great core. Like it, you can't discount what they have, and I think that it it shouldn't be a competition, um, but it should be more of a an appreciation that the the Western Conference, the future of the NBA is in good hands. Like Trey Young has been going off, yes. Um, Booker and Aiton have been going off. John Morant's been going off. Like Michael Porter Jr. had a great season. The Jonathan Mitchell still hasn't played a playoff game yet. Jamal Murray was going to before he got hurt. Like the future of the league is in great hands. Yes, absolutely. Um, I feel like with Memphis, they kind of – I think the thing that separates Memphis and New Orleans is with Ja, I feel like they got the, the the comparable pieces to put around him and to better fit his play style, which is springy, athletic, dynamic playmaker, dynamic finisher, and he has guys around him that can shoot the three. They got bigs that can finish around the rim and so forth and athletic. With the Pelicans, I feel like, you know, they got a bunch of guys that are really good. I don't know if they necessarily fit with Zion. Um, so, I, you know, so I think the Pelicans, that's the next step for trying to find players uh, and stars that fit alongside with their young star, um, like Memphis has. And, and, and last thing about Utah, uh, I know J- Jordan Clarkson, he won six man of the year. He got presented that award last night. Um, I think the down and you tell me if I'm wrong, um, or if you if you agree. I think the downfall, I, and I've said it all along throughout the regular season. I think the downfall of the Utah Jazz in the postseason will eventually be their their lack of perimeter defense. Um, I think Gobert is a is a great, obviously a great interior defender. Um, but I think their lack of perimeter defense will come back to bite them. Not in this series particularly, I don't think. But it's I think it's showing. But I think later on, you know, whether it's the second round or the conference finals, I do think their lack of perimeter defense will be their downfall. Yes. No, I'm 100% agree with you. And um, first about Gobert, I guess I can tie him into this. I wrote a column, man, it was several months ago. Um, the perimeter on both sides, because offensively they live and die by the three ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were taking and making more threes than any team this year, pretty much. So they weren't made. They shot like 12 of 47 in game one. You're not going to win if you take <clears throat> almost 50 threes and you're only making 12 of them. So that is going to be tough. Um, but on the flip side, if they make their usual amount, they're going to go off. Like it's not going to be close. So that's something where you never know when it's going to be a Houston Rockets game six or game seven or whatever it was where they missed like 21 threes in a row. That can happen. Like it's, it's tough to live and die by the three. Um, With Gobert man, fantastic perimeter defender or not perimeter interior defender. When he steps out onto the perimeter last postseason, they did a lot of drop coverage with him. That's what they do. He doesn't step up a lot. He likes to be, Um, have players funneled inside to him. He likes to step back on pick and rolls. 
that allows for guys that have mid-range jumpers like Phoenix is a bad matchup for them because Chris Paul can kill them in the mid-range. Booker can kill them in the mid-range. Um, they just – Royce O'Neal, fantastic defender. He's about their only perimeter stopper. Yes. But Conley, not a great perimeter defender anymore. Okay, so, uh, uh, um, uh, so a series you mentioned a couple of times uh, out east was the Knicks and the Hawks. The Knicks and the Hawks, which was a very entertaining game one, probably the most in- entertaining. Uh, I-, I just love seeing the MSG crowd going crazy like that. Um, it was a good atmosphere. I couldn't imagine. Um, but the Knicks, how good – I asked a couple of people that came on the podcast last week um, or the last couple of weeks, and I've asked them how good are the Knicks coming into the playoffs. Like, give me your take. I, you know – with Tibbs obviously being their coach, they they're heavy on defense. It's um it, it's 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 a lot of effort. It's really gritty, uh, and they get they just give a lot of effort. And I think with a formula like that, especially in today's NBA, where you know there's a lot of young teams that don't play defense, it's a lot of teams that don't give a lot of effort every night. I think that's a formula to win thirty to forty games. But as far as an off, like off their defensive juggernaut, offensively not much there. Uh, even though their three point percentage was, I think, like top three this year, so like they shoot the three ball really well, just not as much volume. How good were are the Knicks in your opinion coming into the playoffs? And they're they're a second round exit, and mm-hmm. I hate saying that because I love the Knicks. I love what Tibbs has had them doing. Um, but with that said. Julius Randle has been most improved player. Like he should be an MVP talks as like the fourth or fifth candidate. I think he's been fantastic. Um, truly expanded his game and shown out to be a star. Derek Rose has been fantastic for them. RJ Barrett has taken leaps forward, but I just don't think he's quite ready. Like they're just missing pieces and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, they're winning their way quite a bit. Um, especially since Rose got there, everyone's buying in. They play well as a team. But then you're relying on guys like Quickly to come off the bench and score. You're relying on Barrett to take a step forward. Um, They don't have Mitchell Robinson because he broke his foot or fractured his ankle. Whatever happened with them earlier in the year, they're just missing some pieces. Um, And you're you're kind of capped with a lack of star talent. Mm -hmm. And the only star they have right now is Randall. Um, Then you look at the Hawks. The only star they really have, quote-unquote, is Trey Young, but John Collins is a good player. Gallinari is a good player. Um, they have guys like um, Hunter who battled injuries. Cam Reddish was battling injuries all season. They have guys who they just never clicked this year, um, and guys are healthy or not healthy heading into the playoffs. But that's a good series matchup, man, when you have two teams that are strong in different areas. Yep. Um, the Hawks, not a good defensive team. The Knicks, really good defensive team. Trey – Man, with Trey, I thought that him being undersized, the Knicks would hone in on that and really stop him. Like if the Hawks played the Heat or something, Trey wouldn't be able to do what he's doing, I think, because they would just be trapping him with uh, height and length. Teams that have that, Milwaukee would be a horrible matchup for them. It's just a it's a game of matchups, and it's a game of runs. And a team like the Knicks can go on a run and take over a game. The Garden was buzzing game one which is awesome to see um the hawks can go on runs with trey so that's a fun series and one that i think um super hard to pick like it could go six games it could go seven games i don't know who exactly is going to come out on top but i think the knicks being that 
defensive juggernaut just by effort, pure effort pretty much is going to get them over the top. Yeah, I agree. I had the Knicks in like I think six games, six or seven games. And I, I felt like the determining factor was the Knicks being able to get more stops. And they couldn't – the game one, they couldn't get the stop that they needed to stop Trey Young. And a lot of people kind of questioned the Frank Ninikina substitution. I mean, I know he's a good defender, but, I mean, Trey Young – Trey Young is phenomenal, and, and and let me let me speak about that because I I went back and looked at you know looked at the Hawks game because it was that good, and I saw I saw the way how the Knicks was uh, I, like defending Trey Young and the stack pick and roll that the Hawks would often run, and the Hawks the Hawks made a they made a living off of that um off of the stack pick and roll that they were running, and I don't I I just don't know I think. I think Tibbs will come back with the proper uh, adjustments, but the Hawks, as you mentioned, they have a lot. Like they just have a lot more offensive weapons than the Knicks. Um, just so many scoring options and threats. You even guys like Lou Will, who came in and gave them some productive minutes. The Hawks. What can what 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 can the Hawks do to win this series? Um, does it have to look more like Game One? Uh, was Game One of a like more like the Trey Young show where he just took over in the fourth quarter? What should what what do the Hawks have to do to win this series? They just have to buy into what they do. Um, they're not gonna play defense and and <laughs> get stops on a team like the Knicks. You're not gonna throw John Collins on Julius Randle and say, "Hey, man, like stop him from from doing everything." It's it's just not gonna happen. But um, Clint Capella can do some stuff on the inside to clog up the lanes a little bit and and force them to shoot some threes. Which I don't know the numbers behind it, but in my head, the Knicks aren't a fantastic three point shooting team. Um, I could be totally wrong about that, but in my head, that's how it looks. Um, and for the Hawks, man, just Trey needs to go off. And I, I hate saying that for a series like that. And then Dallas with Luca, Luca needs to go off. But like these young stars, they need to be young stars. And it's not fair, but that that's just how it goes when you're on teams like that, where you're kind of missing some talent around you. And Atlanta, it's it's impressive that they've done all this with all the injuries and stuff they've had mm-hmm. this year, like to get the five seed. Um, and you're you're, the odds are against you when you have a small point guard who doesn't play defense because in the playoffs, we saw it with Kemba Walker um, last season, they're just going to headhunt you and it's not going to end well for you. But the Knicks don't necessarily have that superstar Kyrie level um, point guard who can just take off and, and get you. Or even like a Kyle Lowry, who's a big bully guy that can do that. Derrick Rose is great. He's fantastic. He is um, not vintage. And I wanted to bring that up because if anyone's listening, please, can we just please stop? Like, he's not ever going to be vintage Derrick Rose. He's a new player now. He's a smarter player. Um, I think this one might even be a little bit more fun to watch. Personally, just because the dunks are cool, um, the high flying is fun, but it seems like he's more skilled mm-hmm. now. And as a basketball fan, I like that. So um, they just don't have a mismatch for Trey defensively, which is good. So they can't go after him and attack him that much. Like Frank Nilakina's not going to Mm-mm. drop like thirty points on Trey Young. He, <laughs> no. He's not dropping thirty points on anybody, but no. it's not going to be Trey. Um, RJ isn't going to spend a lot of time on Trey, and vice versa. 
I don't think Trey will ever really be guarding RJ much. So it just comes down to matchups. And the bigs for them match up at least somewhat well. I'd feel different if Robinson were there for the Knicks. So it comes down to the Hawks, man, just scoring. And they're good at that, and they're good at moving the ball around. They have guys that can create their own shots. So just continuing to do that and then running that um, Trey and John Collins pick and roll, stuff like that. Okay. Um, Julius Randle. Uh, he struggled a bit in game one. Uh, I think he was a little overzealous, forced a couple shots early on. Um, I look for him to have a, a more settled game, too. Um, how good is Julius Randle? Because I know I asked that question, how good are the Knicks? But how good how good is Julius Randle? Because I think I look at it more like this. I, or should the Knicks pay him max dollars? Because I have this take about Julius Randle where it's like, that NFL quarterback where, like, he's good, but you're not sure if he's, like, $40 million good. And you're not – if you know, if you pay him $40 million, you're not going to be able to have the other cap space to put the other pieces around him that he needs. And with Randall, it's like, do you pay him a max deal? Because you know he's good, but is he really the first or second option on a championship team? Yeah, that's fair. And the thing with him is, like, right now he's a max player. Like, if the Knicks were a bad team who didn't have any hopes of being good, you max the heck out of him because he's that good and he can do everything. But if you get a star point guard, like, um, not even a star, like Alonzo Ball, Mm -hmm. who can thrive on and off the ball, or you get a wing, like, if they somehow ended up with – I'm trying to think of like a a really good but not absolute like a Paul George like a star but not like full blown superstar you know what I mean like yeah. a really good player um, that takes the ball out of Randall's hand and Randall kind of thrives on being the the point guard in a sense for that offense um, and that he handles the ball he can create his own shot he can post up he can shoot from deep so if they max him I'll I'll totally understand it because he's still young um, he has taken enough of a step forward in terms of shooting because like a few years ago i'd be like "Eh, i don't think he can shoot enough to play off the ball now i think he can but then the thing is like do you max those bigs like it's a lot easier to say you max a guard because they can run your offense and stuff do you want a big basically running your offense it depends on who else they bring in i think because if they build around randall then i think you max him but if you kind of just add pieces to the team you have and you don't think about building around Randall specifically, then it might not work out. So it comes down to um, how committed they are to him and what their vision is for the team. Um, If they get a guy who will compliment him, then I think a max is just fine. But if you get a guy who's going to take the ball out of his hands and basically turn him into a power forward, who's a jump shooter, then I don't think it's worth it. Okay. Okay. That's fair. And that's fair. Um, so let's shift to the Nets versus the Celtics. Uh I, I think the Nets gonna win this series pretty handily. Uh I don't the Celtics, they just lack um firepower, especially with the loss with Jalen Brown. And people already know that I, I have a lot of critiques of the Celtics. And my latest critique of the Celtics, or not so much critique, but a question. Can Brad Stevens coach superstars? Because early on in his career, uh, even in Butler, you can go back and look at Butler. Butler, he he didn't have like any real like superstar, five star prospects, right? You know, it's a lot of players where 
he he's a he's a great player developer developer uh and he develops player skill sets and he usually overachieves and he raises their ceilings right and that was a that was what he did when he first got to Boston Boston had a mediocre squad um led by Isaiah Thomas and he was great player developer and he they overachieved now since like even with Kyrie didn't really work out now that Tatum is starting to emerge and evolve as a a borderline superstar, um, definitely an all-star caliber player, does Brad Stevens have the the personality to coach a superstar? I think that he does, man, but I, I'm not sure in that answer. And the thing is, like, with all the injuries they've had this season – um, it's hard to get a read on they were inconsistent all year and they were underachieving all year. Um, part of that was because they were missing Kemba, but then Kemba came back and he didn't look good. Then he did look good. Then he didn't look good. Um, he's a small guard. That's something to take into account. Kyrie brought his own kind of not headache, but just his own kind of set of like almost a distraction a little bit. And it's not really Kyrie's fault. It's the stuff that comes with Kyrie. Um <laughs> I don't know. It's I think that he does, but the problem with teams that have good coaches that want to take that next step is where do you find the, the replacement? Like th- that's my problem is I like Brad Stevens and I think he's a good coach. I don't think he's the future Greg Popovich that some people remember when he first came in and everyone was like, Oh my gosh, he's the next Greg But like yeah. I, I never bought yeah. into that. He's <laughs> always been a good coach. He's a smart guy, he's a cool dude. But if you look to replace him with someone that can manage those egos like an Eric Spolstra or a Popovich or stuff like that. Not even egos, but just the pressure that comes with coaching multiple stars. Like Tatum is, I think he'll be a superstar within the next year. If he isn't already, like you said, um, Brown has, man, Brown's like full blown good. Like he can do everything now, um, including run an offense when he needs to, which is awesome. They just, there's a lot of differing skill sets on that team. There's a lot of differing and ego isn't the right word because none of them have egos. They're all good dudes. Mm -hmm. Um, Differing like expectations, I guess like Marcus smart kind of rubs people the wrong way, but he, you need Marcus smart on your team almost. Um, I just don't know about the Celtics, man. They're like the biggest, like, conundrum in the NBA in that they have the talent on paper to do some real damage and they have a bright future but also their cap situation has been weird they've made some weird decisions they um the Tristan Thompson thing just eh, like their offseason was weird their philosophy and draft picks and making trades is (laughs) rubs some people the wrong way like man we could talk about the Celtics for like an hour but in terms of Stevens I think he's the guy and if he isn't the guy, the problem is going to be finding the person who is because he's good enough to where you don't just get rid of him. But he may not be the one that that gets you over the top. Right. And that's my thing. And like Brad, Brad Stevens, I like him. And when he first came into the league and he was la- he was labeled a genius, but he's he's a good player developed. I'm not sure if he can coach superstars. And I'm not sure if he's a championship level coach because he's gotten to conference finals a few times now, and has, he's, he's just lost. Um, 
and you mentioned like the way how the Celtics handle trades. Danny Ainge, um, I, I kill Danny Ainge. Uh, I, I think, I think his lack of aggressiveness is holding back the Celtics. Um, if I was his accountant, I would be thrilled because he doesn't take any risk. He doesn't think he doesn't take any risk at all. So if I was his accountant, like. 401k doesn't bother it, nothing. He takes no risk. And I think that has hurt the Celtics over the years. Um, and and you when we mentioned these draft picks, they've had so many draft picks, and they've like realistically, they've hit on one. Tatum was the one. Jalen Brown, he he has gotten better. He's not a super, I don't think he's gonna ever be a superstar, but he's an all-star caliber player. So we give them two. But these other picks that the Celtics have made have been not good. Like, they just haven't. Um, and I, I, I never really loved the Kimba Walker signing. Uh, I, he's a, he's, at this point, he's a depreciating asset um, where defensively he's, a, he's always been a liability, but now he has health and knee issues. I don't know where the Celtics go from here. They lack rim protection. Uh, they've been lacking rim protection for years now. So, yeah. I'm, I'm. I don't want to. I don't want to add fuel to the fire because a lot of people think I hate on the Celtics, and I and I don't. I'm just bringing up the the facts, the truth. Just speaking facts. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but the Brooklyn Nets, the Brooklyn Nets came out a bit slow in Game One, uh, a bit worrisome. Um, I thought the Nets would handle the Celtics, but in the second half they came back to life. Then you know those three guys started hitting those shots. Um. Brooklyn, the Barclays went crazy. I love to see it. Just tell me, what, what was your take from game one with the Nets and the Celtics? I just, I'm going to be honest. I didn't even watch game one between the Nets and the Celtics. Um, so I, I'm going to try not to, to act <laughs> like I did. Um, I just looked at the box score. Because, like, heading into the series, I was like, man, Boston will get one game. Like, either game one or game two, because Brooklyn's still getting it together. But... If you get those guys on the court at the same time, meaning Kyrie, KD, and Harden, like you just figure it out. <laughs> like right. that was the thing with the trade. Like people were like, oh my gosh, they're not going to be able to play defense. That's fair. And I think against a team like Milwaukee or the Lakers, that's going to come back to bite them at least a little bit. But when you can get that talent, you just figure it out. Like I don't care if there is an ego with any of them, I don't care if there's a distraction with any of them on the court when they want to play and want to win basketball games. And you saw it with Kyrie and Harden. They looked really, really good together. Now you throw Kevin Durant back into the fold. Like Kyrie gets his own shot. Kyrie can set the table when he needs to. Harden has really been the point guard for that team, which I kind of like how that's going. Because Kyrie, like Kyrie's never really been a point guard. He's really been more of a shooting guard and that he doesn't um, run that offense. He's more of an attacking guy that isolates um, can fit all-time great finisher at the rim, has the crazy handle, like an Allen Iverson almost, and I hate to make that comp where <laughs> is AI a point guard? I don't know. Does he have the size of a shooting guard? No, he doesn't, but he played more of that style, whatever, whatever. Harden, he can run the offense, and he's a great passer. He's great at isolation. He can attack the rim. He's a good finisher himself. Then you throw Kevin Durant, top five scorer of all time like the endless bag the size he can elevate over anybody you can't contest his jump shot unless you're Giannis like he has a I've always wanted to see Durant with more of a post game at this point in his career um he just that's not always him but he can still do it he has that little shimmy shake that he likes to go to so 
man, and he's still athletic. Like Durant, his Achilles didn't maybe made him a little bit slower, but he's still a good athlete. He still has a crazy handle for a borderline seven footer. <laughs> like, what what do you do with that? Like, unless you have three guys who are built to stop them, not even the Lakers do. Like, you can throw AD on Durant if you want to, and then who do you put LeBron on? Like, do you really want LeBron dancing around on the perimeter with Kyrie and Harden? I don't think you do. Like, it's – oh, man, that that's a tough one, and it's not fair, but it's a salary-capped sport. Like, if they can make it work, then another team should have done better to make it work. Like, when Golden State got Durant, I mean, is it fair – no, but also yes. Like they they legally made it happen um, with Steph taking a smaller contract and the timing worked out. So um, very rarely does stuff like this actually happen and and work out in terms of the league letting it happen. But um, it's it's something that's going to be fun to watch over the next few years. Yeah, I, I mean <laughs> the skill sets that you mentioned, I just marvel over. I mean, I watched the entirety of the sat um of that game on Saturday. And like my goodness, the like, just, I'm gonna start with Harden. Like Harden, I don't know. Like I feel like he got this stigma where like he's a scorer and he's not a passer. He got that. He kind of got that stigma with D'Antoni, where D'Antoni, when you play with, if you're a point guard, you play with D'Antoni, you you become very ball dominant. Um, your your numbers tend to become a, a bit inflated. And but when you look at Harden and just Marvel, he, like he's a point guard at heart. And I, I I just advise people to go back and look at those Oklahoma City days where when he came in, he was their floor general. He was their point guard because you played alongside with a guy like Russell Westbrook, who not really a point guard. Um, to Rashad Phillips' point, we have these positions, and we you know we we try to attach guys to these positions and label these guys due to size, which just it doesn't make sense because Westbrook, his play style, yeah, he gets a lot of assists, but I don't think assists equals great playmaking um, necessarily. So, you know, that's just a whole different conversation in itself as far as like these point guards. I think Westbrook, as you know, Rashad Phillips pointed out, is a hybrid guard. He's a hybrid, but Harden is at heart. He's 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 more of a point guard, and it shows with this Brooklyn team. Uh, Kyrie is all world with his finishing ability and his handle. It's just, it's just so fun to watch when they're all healthy and focused on in playing. Um, and that's why I have them getting to the finals. Uh, and, and, and you, you, you know, so you didn't watch much again and it's fine, but the Nets just, I, I just hope they can figure out some of the defensive, um, things. I think they should play Claxon more. Uh, I, he's there. He gives them the best chance as far as like, like protecting the rim. He gives them the best chance to protect the rim, uh, at a good level. Um, Hawks. I mean, no, we talked about the Hawks, Bucks, Heat. Uh, <laughs> boy, oh boy. Last night, Monday night was, uh, was a wash. And <laughs> game one was much more competitive. <laughs> Uh, give me your take on the Bucks and Hawks. I mean, the Bucks and the Heat. The Heat. Man, uh, I I underestimated Milwaukee, and like I was talking with a buddy, um, Evan Skilleter, who I do the Crashing the Boards podcast with, and he was like, "Man, you changed that pick. Like, you went Heat and six. This this year's different, man. They got Drew Holiday." 
They have Tucker. They Miami. They're not the bubble frauds like the Mickey Mouse champion. Like I hate when people say that. Like obviously there was a small role that that played, but if you can play, you can play. Like straight up. And right. the Heat culture is real. They were a team that peaked at the right time. Um, they just never got it fully together this season. Guys were hurt on and off all year. Butler was injured. Dragic was injured. Hero was injured. Um, Bam just. I was talking with some friends about this the other day. Do the Heat blow it up? Like, mm. it, there's a conflicting timeline. Butler's like 31, 32. Bam's still 23, 24. Hero's 21, 22. They're just long enough apart. And Bam visibly doesn't know sometimes when he can be that. Like, remember when LeBron got there and him and Wade were struggling to figure out who was quote unquote that dude. Absolutely. And obviously neither neither Bam nor Butler are on that level, but Bam sometimes struggles to know when he can be that dude because Butler, you can't make Jimmy Butler an off ball player. He needs the ball in his hands in order to to have value because he can't really shoot very well from deep or from mid range um catch and shoot. He's just not that guy. He is a guy where he can create his own mid range shot. He can make tough threes when he needs to but he attacks the rim more than pretty much any player in the league. And Bam, he can step out and shoot some mid-range when he needs to, but he still isn't a three-point threat. He can step out on the perimeter on defense and do it all and be everywhere on the floor. Offensively, though, he needs to post up. He needs to catch lobs. He needs to get to the rim and attack. You can only have so many guys like that. So um, my buddy asked me, do they blow it up? And I would understand if they did because I think that – their their chance to win it all with this core has passed probably um they can continue to add some players the cap situation's getting better than it was their draft picks are never going to be great if they keep them um but on the flip side like what do you get for jimmy butler like that that's a whole nother conversation we can have is a young player or a draft pick um do you really want to take a step back from being a good playoff team like a lot of teams would kill to be a good playoff team. So um, that's interesting. But man, the series itself, I need to get back to Milwaukee. Just they're, they're better. They're, they're just a lot better than they were last season. Drew holidays difference is huge. Cause Bledsoe, I like Eric Bledsoe, but he, he just isn't it. <laughs> I mean, straight up, like, especially yeah. in the playoffs um, on either end of the court, he's a, a tenacious defender, but it's more of an effort thing. Like holiday has both the skill, the effort, um, the wingspan, he can step out and and he can guard Jimmy when he needs to. He made it tough for him. P.J. Tucker made it tough for him. Um, Portis was a huge uh, acquisition for the Bucks. They just, they're too good. And the wall for Giannis isn't effective anymore. Um, they just have too much for Miami to handle. Jimmy's had a horrible series so far. In order for them to win games, they need everything to be perfect, especially against this team. Last year, things were perfect um, for Miami, but this this is a different season. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that heat point, you got back to the series, but that heat point is really good. Like, that is really fast. It's just tough. I just don't know, man. It's tough. It, it It's so fascinating that you brought that up. And I'm going I'm to I'm talk about the Bucks. I'm going to talk about the Bucks first. So, yes, the Bucks are better. <laughs> They're better this year. They, they, they just are. Um. 
and as I mentioned early on, like I, I had a Nets, I had a Nets inside insider tell me that the Bucks give the net they, they would give the Nets the most problems because when you play Giannis at the five, and then you have guys like DiVincenzo who plays defense, uh, Drew Holiday who's an all world defender, you have Chris Middleton, you have um, PJ Tucker. You have guys that, that want to play defense, and if they can force Brooklyn to play this isolation ball, which we know in the postseason is not the most effective, um, then yeah, like the 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 the, book, the the Milwaukee Bucks can give the Nets a really really tough series. Um, so I do think the the Bucks are just simply better this year. Um, and it and it showed in Game Two last night. Um, I thought Game One the Nets, I mean the I mean the Bucks. They shot the three ball, I think 16%. I did not see that happening again. And lo and behold, they went crazy beyond our beyond the arc. Um, they think they hit 10 first quarter threes. It was incredible. So Milwaukee, they're just proving to be the better team. And I often make this point about Giannis. Um, I I I compare I compare him to Lamar. Giannis is uh, the NBA's version of Lamar in, in this sense. Like, Lamar, the NFL media kills Lamar because Lamar, you know, not a great thrower. But I'm like, we focus too much on what they can't do, but what they can do is better than anybody else in their sport. And with Lamar, like, they kill Lamar for not being a great thrower because – and I think, yeah, Lamar does need to improve as a thrower, but – how about Greg Roman tweak the offense up a little bit? Or how about Baltimore go out and trade for a, a receiver, a Julio Jones, right? How about how about how about Baltimore do that and maybe he become a better thrower? I.e. Josh Allen traded for Stephon Diggs. Josh Allen suddenly, oh oh my goodness, Josh Allen. But then you know Lamar, he's thirty and seven as a quarterback. He he, he hasn't beaten Mahomes zero and three. But we focus on what he can't do. Focus on what he can do. What he can do is he's the best athlete at the quarterback position in the league. And with Giannis, we focus on what he can't do, which is shoot a three, you know, shoot a jump shot efficiently. Uh, doesn't have doesn't necessarily have like a really like a go to move. But how about Mike Budenholzer? Use him in a couple screen actions. Put him in the post. But what Giannis can do better than anybody else is. He's the best player in the open floor. Like, he's the absolute best player in the league in the open floor. So use that to his ability. Use that to your advantage. Um, but I, I feel like with Giannis, I, I love to see the progression that he's making. Um, obviously, there's some tweaks. Like I said, there's some tweaks that you would like him to clean up, the free throw shooting and so forth. But I think this Bucks team, they're. I think even if they lose to the Nets, I think they're still legit and real. Um, from previous years, um, and you mentioned the Heat, Miami. Should they blow it up? That that's so interesting and intriguing because you do have to think about the age difference between Jimmy, your your two best players, which is Jimmy and Bam, and it, there's a gap there. And you got to ask yourself, has this team reached a quote unquote ceiling? Um, and I don't know. It's it's so difficult. We have to like we have to see like can they get a third star uh, in the, in free agency? I don't know. So that that's intriguing to like point out and to to watch how that develops and to see what Miami does. But that should be really interesting in in how they approach that. Um, 
Yeah. Well, and 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 Oladipo too. Like if yes. they do end up going in on him now, man, it's been several years since he was quote unquote Victor Oladipo, which sucks because um, he had a bright future ahead of him. He had that playoff series again. Think we, think we lost him. It's okay. Uh, oh, you're going. You're back on. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, people bring up like the doctor said he was amazed that Oladipo could play through that or like play with that injury. Like he expects him to be Victor Oladipo of old. He expects him to be full contact in November. Like that's going to be a tough decision. And do the Heat give him another like one year? Um, shot? Do they give him a one-year shot to figure it out? What do they do? Do they give him a long-term deal and invest in him as their third quote-unquote star? Um, that could change things because that's a big acquisition for them to get a healthy Victor Oladipo. So what Miami does, um, Pat Riley has always been an aggressive guy who is, he doesn't want to lose. So mm-hmm. if they do blow it up, I think Bam and Hero and whatever they do is good enough to make the playoffs in the East. But I don't think Pat Riley has any interest in being an eight seed or a borderline playoff team or anything like that. He either wants to completely do it the right way um, quickly, or he wants to be in contention. So that's just going to be interesting. Also, how much longer does Pat Riley want to do it? Like, is he interested in starting over again with this core? Does he want to, um, I think this will be the last kind of era that we'll see with Pat Riley there. Um, the BAM era. BAM's 23, so he's going to be there for probably another 10 years. I mean, barring him leaving, maybe more than that. So what they do over the next few years is going to be pretty interesting. Absolutely. Um, so the last series we have is out east. Uh, the Sixers and the Wizards. And you have I had the I had the Wizards possibly getting one game, um, five games, uh quick five game series. I do think this series is a bit entertaining. Uh, the Wizards don't play much defense. They don't quite have an answer for Joel Embiid. So give me, give me what you're, if you saw game one, give me your take on game one um, with Philly and the Wizards. Like, I, I, I feel like Philadelphia, elite defensive team, when Embiid is off the floor, they're not as good offensively now, Tobias Harris. Had a uh, uh, had the game of his life in Game One. I don't think he'd do that again um, in this series, but it is that I'm, I just wanted to throw that out there. He looked really good. So just give me your take on Philadelphia in Game One and throughout the playoffs. What do they? What do you expect? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm glad we saved this one for last because we really, there's not too much to <laughs> you can only pick so much to talk about with this series. But um, man. As far as Philly goes, Embiid's fantastic MVP candidate. I think he would have won had he not been injured Mm -hmm. earlier in the season. Um, The one seed in the East, Simmons, like, that's one of those things where people criticize him because of what he can't do instead of appreciation, what he can do. Mm -hmm. He can do a lot offensively for them. Um, He can play on my team seven days a week if he wants to. Um, I'd be happy with that. So it's one of those things. The roster, like, I think their championship – capable year was when they had Jimmy and Tobias was at three. Um, They were just kind of working that way. Now this is the best roster they've had since then. I think there were a couple seasons where you just didn't know and it didn't seem like it complimented Embiid and Simmons. And like, I was one of the people that wanted them to break it up Mm -hmm. and probably trade Simmons just because I didn't think that they fit well together. I think that this year 
if they don't get to the finals. Hopefully this is the year they realize that. Like this is a good roster with plenty of shooting, but still, like ultimately you have a guy who in Embiid isn't a great three-point shooter. He's not an extreme face-up guy. Granted, he's expanded that to where he's had some crazy crossover step-back shots, mm-hmm. but his bread and butter comes in the post. Like he wants to post up and be a bully on both ends. And then Simmons, great defender, um, great offensive player, but he needs clear lanes to drive and attack the rim if he's going to ever score and be effective. Like at one point he had like 11 assists, but only like six points in game one. Like when I checked, um, cause I was watching, but I didn't keep track. Like I try not to follow the stats while I watched. So I was like, I'll check and see how many points he has. He only had six. So I was like, okay, whatever. Um, Philly's fun. They're a team that could go deep in the playoffs. Um, I just don't know. Like you said, Tobias isn't going to have many more games like that. So it's going to have to be MB doing MB things. Um, Simmons being able to find out what his role is in between that. And then the role players stepping up. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want one last thing. One last, uh, one last question before I let you go. Um, the Kwame Brown situation. I, I I think it's a I think it's a good one. I think it's it's a it's a situation that I think is uh it's 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 a bit hilarious, a bit funny, but it it does kind of gets it gets people thinking. And and Kwame Brown, obviously, if you guys don't know, Kwame Brown, former number one overall pick, I think he was the first player to come out of high school and to get drafted the number one pick. So uh, by the Wizards uh, and Michael Jordan. So, you know, some historical relevance there. But since then, Kwame Brown, he's he's been like the the butt of jokes when you think about NBA bus and just bust in general. Like what bus do you what whatever bus do you hear like named throughout sports? Like Kwame Brown just rings a bell in everybody's name. And then there's that meme with him and Kobe, you know, combined for 82 points and so so like it's been a lot of jokes over the years with Kwame Brown but do you think he has a valid point because I do I, I do think he does I, I I think he does have a valid point um about all of the jokes and at some point it's like okay you can critique a player's game and you can say that hey they're not they're not playing well they're not playing good at all whatever but then there's a point where it's like it's just excessive bullying, and I think it's reached that point. Uh, like I, I don't know how we continue to talk about Kwame Brown after twenty years, and people think you know he's been going on a rant for like a week and a half now, and people think he's crazy, but people were talking about him for twenty years. There, so I don't know, but just give me your take, especially with both of us being in sports media. Um, I think it's important to address certain things and go ahead. I'm just going to let you talk and then go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I feel for the guy. I mean, it sucks that, that so many people have made fun of him for so long. Like, and to throw around the term bus, like if people like none of us, that that's like one of us getting to like ESPN or Fox sports one and then getting fired after a few years and like not living up to expectations, like still did it. Like to to get to that top one percent, less than one percent in your field, you're not a bust. Like, did you not live up to expectations? Like, did you underachieve? Sure, whatever. But the term bust is just rude, I think. And then to make fun of him, like initially I thought it was funny that he was going at 
uh, Matt Barnes or Derek, whoever he was going after. Like he went after a lot of people airing yeah. out, just emptying the clip on so many people, <laughs> um, just letting the dirty laundry air out. Then he kind of got real and talked about MJ and the Wizards and how Doug Collins, um, just the, that whole situation wasn't great. And I feel for him because it, it, it's unfair that players have to be subject to that. And I feel like stuff like this happens more often than not in that you never know what happens behind closed doors in the NBA in sports in general, like the, players can get traded. The team can say it was because it wasn't a good fit or something wasn't working out. No one ever knows what actually happens um, because players and coaches don't usually go out and say what happened. Um, you can't believe everything that's being reported because some stuff is leaked on purpose, stuff like that. So it sucks. Um, the the lack of transparency is always going to be there, I think. And that I, I don't blame coaches or teams at all for that because it's a business too. You have to make money. You have to maintain your image. But um, it's always fun and interesting to see players after they retire kind of give more of a peek behind the curtain of stuff that goes on. Um, and this one wasn't fun. It was interesting um, at first, but then it got pretty real and that Kwame went through um, quite a bit and that he was just the scapegoat for everything because he was that top draft pick, whatever, whatever. And on a team with Michael Jordan, obviously, no no one's going to point a finger at him. Yeah. And be like, hey, dude, like you're, you're slacking off. You're not doing it right because he's Michael freaking Jordan. So right. that whole situation, just watching it um, escalate and then de-escalate, has been, has been something, man. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's a point well taken and I used to, and I, and I know like Russell Westbrook and Kwame Brown on like different sides of the spectrum as far as like NBA careers, Westbrook's going to be a first battle hall of famer one day. Um, but I used to do it a lot with Russell Westbrook and I, and that's why I had to check myself and that's why I slow down on the Westbrook criticism and I don't even I don't even like bring Westbrook up a lot anymore because it's like hold up this guy is still like a dynamic athlete um like just so dynamic and fun to watch and he brings so much effort and heart to the game like I get it he's not a great shooter he's not a great shooter he's not going to be this great postseason performer or or but like the slander, it, it does get out of hand, and I and I feel like with Kwame Brown, I mean, the the slander it has gotten out of hand, and, and you know those you know the people that he called out, which quite a bit, it it was it was it was very interesting to watch, but I think it's also like a good lesson, um, for people that's in the media or that's interested, uh, you know, you gotta you gotta be careful because. I think if we told the story of Kwame Brown, the like his background and wh where he comes from, and like the struggle that he had to deal with and the obstacles that he that he had to overcome, I feel like that's a that's a picture perfect movie. That's a picture perfect. That's a picture perfect movie and storyline. Like a guy that come from an impoverished background, nineteen year old, nineteen year old, um, and was able to get his hands on millions of dollars and change the course of his like that's not a bus and if that's a bus we need a lot more bus in in <laughs> in society <laughs> yeah absolutely um it's anytime you achieve your childhood dream or high school dream whenever he had that and to come from what all these guys came from to to get to where you're at like even the guys who make the league or make the nfl make the mlb whatever they get paid 
they got to say they did it. Like that's more than any of us will. The odds are against a lot of people, you know, um, we all have those dreams, but the people that actually do it, who, who are we to call them bus? Like, or to say that they failed or whatever, like we can't guard them. First of all, um, we, we, we can't guard the worst player in the NBA, quote unquote, worst. Those guys would go bust up. It, I'm not saying this guy's the worst, but just the first guy that popped into my head, Jared Dudley. If Jared Dudley popped up and went to a park or whatever, he would dog every single person there. Like yeah. he's an NBA player for a reason. So even the G League guys in Europe and um, the college players who are really good and then went and played in Turkey or whatever, like those guys are all good for a reason. Um, and it, it, it's just the society we're in. It's critical. It's clickbait. It's um, the, the drama sells more than the um, – honest like critique of players and, and positivity like negativity sells um, on Twitter on Facebook on Instagram whatever whatever that's just how we are and I mean I don't think it's ever going to change but um, having conversations like this where you're real about stuff like that and um, Kwame Brown going out and saying like this is what happened and people hearing that hopefully will um, create more dialogue about it and stuff like that for sure um well i'm gonna wrap it up i don't want to hold you uh too much longer uh, i will I, I i am interested to have you back on the pod um as the playoffs progress so we can get some more of your takes and throughout the football season because um you you cover you kansas city like kansas city chiefs yeah we need you back so <laughs> yeah um any last thoughts anything you want to throw out there um I am gonna like. I am gonna leave all of your social media platforms in the link of the description um, at the bottom, so you guys go check that out. But anything, any last words, Jordan? No, man. Just uh, thanks for having me on. This was a blast, dude. Uh, no problem. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. I great. Like I said, greatly appreciate it. I think the people are gonna love it. So without further ado, I'm gonna end this episode right here. I hope you guys enjoyed. Um, I'll be back on Saturday for Saturday's episode. Always remember two choices, one decision. I am out. Peace, deuces, gone. Enjoy.